0: The only fair way to compare two different channels is on your cost per admin. So, you know, here's the thing. If if you could theoretically pay ten dollars a call, but you're closing zero of them because they're all junk, it doesn't matter how cheap they are because your cost per admin is infinite. Welcome to the Treatment Marketing Podcast, where we share what's really working to generate admissions consistently and ethically, so you can help more people escape addiction. If you're ready to grow your census, let's get started.
1: One of the recurring themes I've been harping on in the early episodes of this podcast is the idea that even though many treatment centers and many treatment marketers are spending a ton of money on social advertising there's still a very high general level of cynicism. And I couldn't wait to speak to the person who's our first official guest on the podcast to ask him about why this is. And I've got a lot of theories about that that I've outlined in some of the previous episodes. But our guest today is uniquely situated to talk about what 99% of the industry is doing wrong which is spoiling their results on these platforms where they otherwise could be getting great results, and what to do instead. Our guest today is my sometime partner in crime and my social ads consigliere, Jan Roos. And it was Jan together with whom I developed the system of social ads that we now offer to treatment centers, and he helped me develop it from the beginning. I just want to make one quick footnote about the audio for this podcast. In some spots, it's not the greatest, because we were recording in a live room and there was a lot of noise. I urge you guys to be a little bit patient with it. Once we get into the meat and potatoes of the interview, I think it'll be well worth your effort to continue listening. I now give you Yonroos. I thought we'd start out by just giving people a little bit of uh, background. I know you've got a long history in direct response marketing, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started and what your experiences? is? Um, okay, cool. So I actually started out my
0: career in a decidedly not direct response field, which is uh, sort of a little known fact. My first job was 19 years old and I was a summer intern at a social media company. Um, And that was actually a pretty absurd experience. Um, This is back in the heyday when um, everything was blowing up with viral videos, this and uh, Blendtec making all this money and Twitter was just coming online. So basically, we were able to, this this company was able to sign these really large retainers for essentially doing nothing. And I was kind of like scratching my head and being like, oh, is this, is business really works? And then I kind of realized that that was the more of the realm of, of you know vanity metrics, uh, brand advertising, for, for lack of a better term, which will probably go into depth is in contrast to direct response marketing. But um, you know, after that, I had some, some more agency experience before finally going to um, start my own company as a bootstrap startup. Being that we were bootstrapped, we didn't have any additional revenue, so we had to eat what we killed. We already started in the hole. Obviously, it was a physical products business, so we had to be ruthlessly focused on stuff that was not only going to provide an ROI, but provide an ROI really quickly. So this is kind of the frame that I've been filtering all marketing through since then. We quickly found our path being in paid traffic. And um, one of the more interesting things about that experience is that we had two very distinct markets and um, we saw some things that were working like gangbusters in one market and some things that were working horribly other markets. So it kind of gave me to this, um, this whole concept of what I like to call channel market fit. Not only is it important to be doing the right things, but the right things for your market.
1: The reason that we're speaking right now is that you were instrumental in helping me with my agency to create the campaigns that we've been running for the past couple of years for treatment centers. And it's interesting you mentioned your background. You didn't have any room for the sort of luxury vanity metrics that we associate with brand marketing. And and we can touch on that in a few minutes. But I think what would be cool is to describe the journey of you and I working together, what we tried and what failed and what worked to ultimately arrive at the formula that we currently use when we do the social advertising for treatment centers.
0: So I remember back when we got started, um, a lot of the stuff that we had been doing with the agency was based around Google AdWords. And just to, um, you know, this, this might seem like a distant memory to some of the people who might be running practices right now. You know, essentially, it's, it's still one, in my opinion, you know, one of the best channels in terms of getting a quick ROI. And the reason for that is that people we will probably get into this in a little bit more depth. But um, as, in terms of the buyer journey... Somebody isn't typing, you know, treatment center Los Angeles until they've made the decision to go out and get a treatment center. So the, the pro of, of that channel is is really it's, it's quick. You have people that are basically on the, you know, the 10 yard line to use the football analogy. And the downside is that they're very, very expensive clicks. We kind of uh, got hit by... The uh, banning of, of treatment centers from Google advertising, and um, it was at this point we kind of realized that um, a lot of the treatment centers that were marketing were weren't were really using a lot of sophisticated agencies. So you know the experience that we'd had working into like you know a lot of different fields, we saw an opportunity for different channels. So namely social. So you know Facebook has been a fantastic platform. Um, it's getting better. Uh, you know every couple months, if not every year. Um, and it's it's something that I've personally been on since really early days of the platform, like 2013. I think might have we've been able to run ads in 2011 as promoted posts. So basically, lifetime of the thing we've we've been around it. But basically, uh, the challenge with it is that you know instead of just kind of taking the ball over the 10 yard line, we'd have to go a lot earlier in the buyer journey. So you know getting somebody to that point is is more like you know fielding a punt return. So there's a lot more involved. But the plus side of that is that. You know, you're know, you you're dealing with, you're not even close to those those exorbitant cost per clicks that you're dealing with on Google AdWords. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Not not only that, the active bit in Facebook, the thing that controls the targeting, is opaque to competitors. So in AdWords, it's keywords, and any one business can see any other business's keywords with softwares like SpyFu. But in Facebook, your audience is, number one, a unique to your business if you research them well and number two they're also well paid to your competitors there isn't really any way that a competitor can see what audiences you're targeting unless they hack into your dashboard
0: yeah and that's another key difference between that and search i mean um, a lot of people say so you know, google is, has a monopoly on on intent so there's there's really not a way to target somebody in the moment of wanting a particular thing whether that's treatment or you know wanting to buy a bologna sandwich you know when they type that into google that's the moment they decide it and google's still the best for that But as far as demographics, you know, that's where it gets a lot easier to target people on Facebook. We've run a lot of different experiments, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, very surprisingly, overwhelmingly women tend to be the people that are responding to this. People liking certain interests that, that would be very surprising. It's different in every market. And these things kind of evolve over time as the data comes in. Also, by the way, you're getting a lot more data on, uh, you know, a given budget, given that the clicks are a fraction of the cost that's going into Google. Essentially, you know, the skill set required to make social channel work is a lot more complex. So, you know, if you're thinking about running that, that, you know, 10 yard drive, you, you basically just got to got enough skill to, to take it across the goal line. The the equivalent of of having a good ads campaign is like catching a punt return. It obviously takes a lot more to get that all the way down the field. Um, first of all, to get somebody to click on an ad that says treatment center when they're typing in treatment center is not hard. To get somebody to stop scrolling in their newsfeed, feed, sandwiched between, you know, um, memes about politics and, you know, their newborn nephew photos, you know, it's a lot more challenging.
1: Not only um, that, but to get someone who has qualified insurance and is someone who's going to benefit from treatment rather than just someone who's at the end of the rope, the rope and they're desperate and they're willing to click on anything. That's a categorical difference.
0: Yeah. So we have to get their attention. We have to capture them. We have to re-engage them if they're not coming in through whatever means we're going on, on as our, our plan A. But at the end of the uh, at the the end of the day, we're actually left typically with actually um, a better lead because basically we can get them all the way to that uh, you know, across the goal of, of getting them in. Not only have we segmented them, we probably segmented them down from a lot larger list. Um, you know, we can actually build things into the qualification process to make sure that they're, qual- I mean, this is, obviously super important for treatment centers. Um, you know, we're, we can filter out people through uh, various means to, to make sure that the ones that are coming in do have qualified insurance. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, finally, it's like when you're coming to people at that last moment of decision, uh, if you're theoretically, you know, uh, back in the good old days, one of four advertisers on the top of the Google ad, guess what? You know, if they have a bad call with you, if, they, if you miss the phone when it's picking up, they're calling the other three people on the top of the Google listing. If you have a good call, <laughs> they're probably still calling the other three people on the top of the Google listing. Because you're, you're positioning yourself in a place that somebody isn't necessarily you know, looking for, if you can get their attention, you know, you're able to have them in an area where there's less competition, and by way of educating them and providing value, um, by the end of that process, they're usually a lot more aware of who you are which gives you the ability to really position yourself as not just another treatment center, but a treatment center that does X, really aligning with your values because ultimately that's who you want as a
1: client. Yeah, I think there's a lot of gold here and it behooves us to kind of backtrack and unpack some of this stuff. I think a good way to bookend this and to kind of go back through and underscore some of these really great points you've made, among them, so just for instance, the last one, like if you want to get somebody at the last mile of the customer journey where they've already realized they need treatment and they've committed to seeking a solution to the problem, you're going to pay a premium for that. But if you have the ability to catch those people early in the journey and you're part of the process of them educating themselves about the fact that they have a problem, there is a solution to their problem, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to, there's going to be a lot, less competition there. I mean, it's almost like vertical integration. But I think a good place to, to start going back through this is to talk about the fact of the industry where if you go on Facebook, and of course, I've talked about this before, Facebook post-April, post-Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress now has a feature where anyone can see the ads that any business is running. So we at Admit Scout have literally seen Every single Facebook ad that any treatment center is running anywhere in the U.S., and 100% of them are hot garbage. So people wasting millions on Facebook, getting Medicare, Medicaid calls, 100% of them, and yet on the other side, people saying, like, this platform doesn't work, but we're going to still keep throwing away our money. So why do most Facebook campaigns and treatment fail? So like I said, it's like, you know, if you, if you can put up an ad,
0: it's, you know, sometimes I, I used to get the objection when we were speaking on calls. It's like, oh, well, hey, well, you know, you're going to run our ads for us. I could just set up an account yourself, Okay, like, well, you know, my um, 16-year-old niece could get a driver's license. I wouldn't want to put her in F1. So <laughs> it's uh, NASCAR maybe. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's, it's a very high, highly skilled profession. The ability to get attention, to get the right attention, and to get the right attention in a direction that you want it to go in, it makes a huge difference. So I would say, you know, if looking at most of the the people that we're looking at, um, there's there's kind of uh, two contending buckets of of why ads fail. And um, the thing that's kind of puts people in a tough position uh, is that most of the branding that uh, most of the advertising that we're exposed to kind of falls into this this brand marketing. So people who say, put yourself out there. So a lot of the times there's a huge category of these ads that are trying to provide some sort of content, some sort of value without the ability to take the the next step. So that whole bucket of stuff that doesn't really have that ability to take a next step is kind of the first class. I would say probably the most common of of people that are doing things wrong on Facebook. The the second is is kind of the sin of not providing too much value. So if you're just going to you know, spam the newsfeed with your, your phone number. and just say, Hey, uh, you want some treatment? Call us now. Here's our, here's our number. It's like, you know, you haven't really provided a reason for somebody to act now. And also, frankly, that's not the way to do things on Facebook. But another quote that I really like is, you know, Google is where people go to make decisions. Facebook is where people go to avoid making decisions. So you think about your, your, your typical user and, you know, just think about your own life. You know, it's, it's when you're waiting for the train to show up, It's when you've got 20 minutes to kill when your spouse is finishing up a phone call and you want to eat dinner. Um, It's all these little tiny moments or you're just, you know, it's been a long day at work and you need to unplug. So we need to meet them where they're at. And the way that you really get that is value. So, you know, there's no value to, hey, just contact us. So really, you know, the the way that you you kind of uh, what we consider a good app is something that was able to capture the, the attention and provide a step that's going to lead forward to cash coming into your checking account
1: (laughs) yeah and i like to say what type of people do ads that make an ask for a call without providing any value or differentiation select for because high performers the type of people with these private ppo insurance policies are the type who are going to go and do research imagine you're thinking about sending your daughter away to some place where she's going to be sequestered and you're going to entrust her life to stranger. Do you think you're just going to call the first Tom, Dick, or Harry you see that shows you an ad in your newsfeed? No. Chances are you're going to do your own research. But as I spoke about in the previous episode, actually the bar to earning someone's trust isn't as high as you would think. There are just a couple key things you have to do. But who do these click-to-call or you know, short ad with no differentiation and then phone number select for, it's desperate people. Because when all of the people who have the the luxury of time in a decision-making process are turned off by your ad, that only leaves the Medicare and Medicaid calls. I think maybe for the last few minutes of this interview, it would be cool if, if we kind of go rapid fire. And what I'd like to do is just name off some of these uh, type of ads that we tend to see, and, uh, yawn for you to tell us, like, why they're not going to work. So, I've actually got the Facebook pages of a few of these centers up. So, I'm just going to read these ads off and we'll have a little bit of fun with this. So, photo, male junkie in a hoodie crouched against the wall, probably needles sticking out of his arm. Caption, it's not your fault and you're not alone. You click on the ad, it takes you to what's called a lead form that immediately asks for your phone number. Tell me why this is going to fail.
0: Okay, well, first of all, you know, this is I'm I'm actually shocked this got through the Facebook ad algorithm because it's explicitly supposed to not, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's it's supposed to not prioritize stuff that has negative imagery. I, I had a friend of mine who, who called this a finger in the eye technique. He used to be a competitive taekwondo competitor, and uh, he ended up on um, basically he won a tournament because he poked this guy in the eye with a finger and then you know beat him around the uh, <laughs> beat him from pillar to post. But he's like, okay, this is the kind of technique that that works once in a while. Once in a while, they will get something like that, and you can't do it again. So you know, statistically, there's maybe somebody out there that does fit this bill, is ready to call, and that's really all they need. But for every other single person, if that doesn't fit the demographic, if it's just somebody who happens to be in the same audience, they're all going to have a terrible experience. No one's going to engage with this post on Facebook. And then you know, this is the other thing, too. Facebook prioritizes content that people engage with. So this isn't really inspiring anything other than you know that super last ditch effort to to secure something, and, and that's you know, I find it. I'd be shocked if if leads are actually coming through this, and you know, it's. I, I think the engagement would be terrible in this as well.
1: Yeah. When we were developing these campaigns, we did experiment with some of these because it's like a Hail Mary. It's like, well, if that works, we're done already. And yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't. It's it's not only an AdWords technique applied to social media, but it's a bad one. So I've got one more here, and this is my personal favorite. Nothing puts a smile on your face more than breaking free from addiction. Name of center is here to help you break free from addiction. So then you click contact us. So this is a little bit better. It's got a, it's got an uplifting image of a well-to-do appearing young man in a wall street getup. So you click contact us and it takes you to a generic homepage with the phone number all over it. So this isn't junky photos. This isn't negative imagery. Why do we still think this is going to fail?
0: Driving traffic to a homepage is an absolute cardinal sin. And basically, you know, this, uh, to, you know, to take kind of back to the history, a lot of the times, and you know, this is, is really something that's happened in the last 20 years or so, this evolution of internet marketing as a whole, without going into too much gory detail, for the most part, the people who made the first websites were, you know, your air quotes tech guys. So, you know, the guy building your computer to the guy who can fix XYZ or router. And these are the only guys who knew enough code to make websites. Uh, and that was it. If you had a website, you're at the top of the market for a while. And then, you know, these guys ended up going into stuff like SEO. And the thing is that this, the websites were really kind of like the first step that a lot of people do. But, um, you know, unfortunately, there are some people who are still st- uh, stuck in 2001 that, that think that, okay, cool, if you have a website, that's really all it does. And, you know, there are people that have websites that will sell you really well. You might recognize some of these guys as Amazon and Walmart.com and, you know, you name it. Um, you know, the way that you'd actually have a website that would sell is investing extreme amounts of money with staggering amounts of data to, you know, get an optimized user experience that's been tested over billions of interactions. You know, I would say pretty confidently there aren't many businesses under the $100 million mark that have the kind of traffic that that would happen. So, you know, in lieu of that, what we're typically recommending people to do is just go to landing pages because essentially – you know, there's some path that leads to that person contacting the website, and a lot of people naively will assume that because we paid so much for this website, then people are going to magically you know, follow the Elbrick Road all the way to the, to the point where they're going to contact. But most of the time, and if anyone's running a campaign like this, you can check this out if you have analytics, you're usually going to see a couple click-throughs and it's going to fall out. Any situation that's going to take more than one step to lead to a consultation or a next action is a potential drop-off. Even if ninety nine percent of the people, come, you know, will will take the action that you want, you're losing one percent every single step. So if we're not only providing a you know litany of choices that people can take when they have this this homepage, but there's no guarantee that they're going to actually take the path that we want, you know, it's it's just bound to failure. And you can you know, pat yourself on the back for for throwing money into some sort of an advertising campaign and tell yourself you're doing your best, but in reality, there's almost no chance that these guys are going to re- result as consultations. You might get another impression or website, but What's it really going to do for you?
1: Yeah. And this harkens back to the hat trick that a lot of these older school marketing agencies play, which is the whole, we're going to get you in front of people. We're going to get traffic to your website. We're going to get you call volume. And I think that this dates back to an older idea of what advertising is, like Super Bowl ads, Coca-Cola ads. People still have that idea in their heads. And if you don't have millions of dollars to literally flush down the toilet just so that more hypothetical people know about you whether or not that actually translates into moving the needle as far as return on investment, then this type of advertising isn't really going to work for you. So so another point I wanted to underscore is Jan mentioned two types of ads that we primarily see, and they both fail for different reasons. So the first was the lead form, where it's all within the platform. You click on this ad, and it just asks for your phone number right away. And that fails because it's proposing on the first date. It's asking someone to make a decision and a big commitment bar without any familiarity, without, number one, being able to tell that you're not a shady operator who's going to ship their daughter to some shanty in Florida, and number two, even if you are reputable, why you're different from all of the other treatment centers that they've seen in their newsfeed. And the other type being these home pages, where it's the opposite problem. Instead of being too narrow and and too short a time period to make a decision, it's just overwhelm. Like you're taken to this homepage which isn't optimized to convert to a single action. And in general, I've mentioned this before, I'm not sure who's writing all of the copy for 100 percent of these websites, but it's it it reads like <laughs> There's a large convergence. Scholastic talking points. Yeah, yeah it's just garbage. So, so you're not you're not going to get conversions from that either. Too many options. So let's end this by speaking about the type of re- results we've actually seen from this. So it took us about three or four months of experimentation. But essentially what we were able to do with these ads is produce pre-qualified insurance leads, generally by means of about 90% form submissions, where we ask people a fairly high bar questionnaire. We ask them what type of insurance they have, and we ask them if they're willing to receive a call from an admissions representative. So that way, the only leads we're sending to the admissions folks are people who have reported to us they have qualified insurance. And what we've seen is that it's somewhere between 550 and seven hundred dollars in ad spend to get just one of these leads. And you can imagine what that looks like if you're able to admit just one in 10 of these folks. And just compare that to like the call volume folks who are sending you a hundred calls. You're paying your admissions rep for that time and a hundred percent of them are Medicare and Medicaid. So generally to compare these to the, the call volume type of metrics, you know, people will tell us, yeah, we can get calls for 40 or $50 a call, but what's the difference between those calls and the type of calls that we're able to produce?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I've worked in a lot of different markets, a lot of different channels that we're working on. And ultimately, you know, the way to kind of bridge the gap, if you're, if you're being holistic about your marketing approach. A lot of times these are shopped out to multiple people simultaneously. Um, you're essentially playing musical chairs every single time the phone comes up because if you pick it up and the other four people that this got sent to don't pick up first, you just spend fifty dollars for nothing. And that's the thing, it really all comes down to the cost per, per console. And unfortunately, you know, that's one of the things you can only really determine retroactively. So, you know, if you have experience with somebody that you can hypothetically get fifty dollar calls from. I wouldn't say that's a fair comparison unless you said, okay, we've, you know, we've been using these guys for the past 24 months and, you know, our average cost per admit is, you know, $3,500. Now that's a fair comparison if, if, you know, you can get $5,000 admins for the thing. And also, you know, to, to think about your average plan of care, if, if you're floating around $50,000 for in your average, you know, so it's probably all the average for the, for the industry, right?
1: Yeah. For the out of network PPO policies yeah. for sure. And you know,
0: regardless of vertical, a 10 to one return on investment, you know, uh, that's a, that's a deal most business owners would take five times a week and, you know twice on the weekend. So it's uh, you know, that's, that's, it's all really good money. I mean, theoretically, you know, if, if it costs 25,000, it's, it's worth it. You know, if, if your, if your channels that you can get a 10 X ROI are completely tapped out and you have to go to a channel that's five X ROI, that's what you got to do to grow the business. But ultimately, it's it's kind of boiling it down to those numbers. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're sending out mailers to people in 1920 or using you know hologram messages in you know 3020. It's it's like, it's um it's really all just boils down to straight math, straight numbers, and being able to just figure out what what's going to happen when we put you know money in this vending machine.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So so first of all, yeah, Yon's just been dropping value bombs this entire time. So definitely want to thank you heartily for your time and your thoughts. And in closing, I'd just like to underscore some of the major points that that Jan made. So first and foremost is this difference between brand marketing and direct response where, you know, stop hiring people to get your name out there. If you're not seeing a return on your investment, if you don't know what that is, like you're dead in the water. The next major theme that you hit on was just this idea that, you're going to pay a premium to catch people at the end of the customer journey. So if you're one of the centers lucky enough to be certified to go back on AdWords, it's still a wild west there, and you're going to be up against a number of different centers to get that first click, and they're going to be comparing you to everybody else. And Whereas if you're able to catch people earlier in the customer journey, then you're going to have sort of exclusive... An exclusive claim on those folks. And finally, just this idea that it's more difficult to get qualified leads on Facebook and social platforms, but that it's possible. And that the reason most treatment center owners and treatment center marketers don't think it's possible is because they're applying this either this brand marketing strategy from the Super Bowl ads or this sort of direct-to-marriage proposal on the first date strategy from AdWords. And with just a few extra tweaks and tracking the right metrics, you can get there and you can start getting qualified calls on social. So anyway, Jan, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure, Nate. And folks, if you want to grab the show notes for this episode, just go to admitscout.com podcast, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Treatment Marketing Podcast. To get show notes for everything we mention in this episode, plus free marketing resources, go to admidscout.com slash podcast.